Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikuchi and you are listening to the Jazz Ace Podcast. Hello everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call The Jazz is Podcast. And it's brought to you in conjunction with Jazz is Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz is editors and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. Today we are thrilled to have the extraordinary pianist and composer Bill Cunliffe on the Jazz's podcast. He's here to delve into his captivating three-movement suite, Rainforest, recently released on record. Crafted for the Temple University Studio Orchestra, this composition draws inspiration from the life-giving mangrove trees that make up much of the tropical rainforests. Join us as we explore the expansive sonic landscape of rainforests, a grand vision that not only embraces the full orchestral spectrum but also swings with the vigor of a big band featuring stellar jazz soloists from the Temple Jazz Sextet. Cunliffe also shares his passion for environmental causes and his vision of how music serves as a metaphor for life. And of course, we can't help resist delving into the archives of Bill Cunliffe's memories, discussing his early career encounters with such legends as Mary Lou Williams and Buddy Rich. It's a musical journey filled with inspiration and a celebration of jazz's rich tapestry. Fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. This is the Jazz Ace Podcast. Hello, Bill. Welcome to the Jazz Ace Podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's a great pleasure to meet you. It's a great pleasure to talk with you. So I'm going to start off this podcast the way that we usually like to start off our jazzes podcasts. We like to break the proverbial ice by asking a very simple question, but it can be very interesting. I like to ask the artists I speak with to share a memory with me from early life or childhood of when, you know, of a moment that when they think back to it, they realize Maybe that's where I first awakened to the beauty and power of music. And maybe that's also where I started thinking, you know, I'd like to do this when I grew up. I'd like to become a musician. I started immediately when I was a kid studying. I started, started studying piano when I was eight. And, you know, I started playing classical music and then doing uh, accompanying Broadway musicals in high school. And none of that really, I never really thought about doing it for a living until I was actually playing a gig at the Prince Spaghetti Club in Route 1 in Saugus, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. And a friend of mine gave me an Oscar Peterson record called Tristeza on Piano with Sam Jones and Bobby Durham. And when I heard this record at home, I immediately knew, oh my gosh, this, I have never heard anything like this before. I was 20 years old, so I was pretty late getting into the game. But the way that Sam Jones and Bobby Durham kind of played with Oscar and the way the arrangements were in Oscar in the 70s was absolutely the 
most swinging, most exciting, most interesting for me at the time, piano player that I had ever heard. So that was when I knew I had to figure out what this was for me. So you didn't really make up your mind to do this professionally until later in life, right? I'm still curious, what is it that originally drew you to jazz? Because even though you didn't, you didn't have that. Well, that was it. That was the moment right there. Oh, that, right. Was, that was when I first really heard it. Right. And then I said, there's nothing else I can, I can deal with. I have to deal with this. I have the, what Oscar did on the piano and how that rhythm section played. That was what I wanted to do. And so before then, I guess when you, when you started learning to play the piano, was it more classical stuff? Was it? Yeah. Yes, it was. It was classical entirely. In fact, I was an undergraduate piano major at Duke University, which was actually a really good place for me because it didn't, it wasn't really a conservatory, but it had a music department that had designs on greatness, right? There were people there that really thought that music was important. And there were, like my piano teacher was a Juilliard grad. He studied with Ernest Hutchison. I mean, he was heavy. He was really good. And uh, of course, my senior year, Mary Lou Williams came. And of course, hanging with her was a big indication to me of that's the world I want to be in. What was it like? What uh, What are some of the lessons, some of the things that she said that kind of have kind of stayed with you over the years? One thing I said, she would say, when you play the piano, put your thumbs together so they love each other. And what that meant to me was that the thumb in each hand would play notes that were right next to each other. And that's where all the kind of beautiful swooshy chords come from, those light half step, whole steps right in the middle of the piano. That's where all the good sounds are. Let's see if it works. If I play a chord like this, okay, right hand, left hand, but then if I have the thumbs together, then you get the schmoozy sound, the, that gushy sound because wow. the overtones are generated in a certain way around middle C that are really beautiful. So her voicings always had that. And she had these very big thumbs with long fingernails. So it, she could like play about three notes at a time with her thumb. They were, they were big, you know? Fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. And you know, it's, it's, it's always so, uh, you know, interesting to find out about what, you know, people say that kind of stay with us through over the years. You, you know, you've had, a, you know, the opportunity to play with so many of the greats. Even early on, you know, I believe that one of your first professional gigs or so to say, or like experiences was with Buddy Rich. Is that right? That's right. I mean, what was that like? Well, it was, of course, terrifying because he's a, a very demanding person. But he also gave a lot. You know, he really, on the bandstand, he gave 100% all the time. He was a very dedicated, passionate performer. And I, I tell the story. He summoned me up to the front of the bus one time, and he said, uh, uh, Cunliffe, uh, you write music, right? And I said, yes, buddy, I do. He says, uh, Count Basie, one o'clock jump. I want something new. I want you to use the uh, shout chorus from the 50s recordings. I want you to use the P. 
piano solo from the 1932 recording uh, in maybe some kind of soli. You got all those, right? And I sputtered because all I had was a little bitty case with about 12 cassettes in it. And he goes, God damn it. You better find them. Damn you. You better learn Cal Basie better than you know yourself. Get out of here. And he <laughs> banished me from the kingdom, you know. So, how intimidating is that? Ooh, scared the crap out of me. So, almost like, you know, you, you, I guess, you know, from the time that you listened to, like you said, that, that Oscar Peterson album that changed your life to then. It almost, you know, something like that, you know, is a make or break moment. Maybe like, you know, as soon as you became, fell in love with jazz, you might be like, you know, this is what it's like. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know if I want to be a part of this game. I'll show you what it's like. <laughs> well, no, but yeah. those, those experiences, of course, are, are all formative and it's, it's amazing, you know, to, you know, you played with so many of the greats over the years and you've, you made so much, so much great music then afterwards. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, jumping ahead, cause, you know, we don't want to get too lost in <laughs> speaking about the past, though, it would be fascinating. You know, I really want to talk about your most recent, uh, project which it really has such a fascinating uh, concept to it. Rainforests. One thing that I read about this album uh, is that it comes not long after the COVID period. And I read in a press release that during this time, you continued to teach and arrange music and, you know, with normal efficiency, but creatively you were kind of tapped out. Is this true? How did you get out yeah. of this rut? I, it was a very, COVID was a rough time for me. Um, my marriage ended, obviously all gigs stopped for a year. I was teaching, of course, but teaching was extremely difficult. Teaching online, oh, you know, it's about two, maybe half as good as doing it for real. You know, it's better than nothing, but it's really, you know, the kids, disassociate. They know it's not working. They know it's kind of BS, but everyone went through the motions because teaching and jazz, of course, is nothing without human communication and human communication that's only on a speaker and a microphone. It's not the same. So, you know, you'd be, you'd have a classroom of all these little heads, right? That you've seen and half the mics would be off or Half the videos would be off. And, you know, it's just really a hard time. And I've always loved the orchestra. In fact, I had another aha moment. Years later, I was, I was one of the reasons I moved to LA, like many of us, oh, we want to be, I want to be a film score. And I, I thought that because I had written music for soap operas, uh, daytime dramas, they're, they're called in America when I was living in Cincinnati. The soap operas, most of them, were started in Cincinnati because they were produced by Procter & Gamble, the soap company. That's why they're called soap operas. And Procter & Gamble's in Cincinnati. So I did that for a while, and I thought, wow, this is kind of fun. Maybe I want to uh, do more of this. So I moved to L.A. to do that. But then I saw that the technical demands, the, the people that were really successful at that, uh, spent so much time just working on their technology and it wasn't much fun. I, I like hanging out with people. People give me energy. Machines don't give me energy. I work with machines for a few hours and I'm, I'm whipped. Other people I know, the machines, they just love it. They could do it all day. So I knew really that 
I was a player. So I gave up thinking about composing until I was in the car and I heard the Rachmaninoff second piano concerto, which is a piece I've loved since I was a kid because my dad, he, w- he wasn't really a fan of jazz. He was a fan more of light music. Light music is kind of, I don't know. Is there, a, there used to be a BBC light music channel and there were these composers like Robert Farnan. You know, English light music is sort of a thing. It's like classical music, but it's more like film music-like. It's sort of easy. It's like the Boston Pops would do Rhapsody in Blue. They would do uh, The Beatles. They would do Leroy Anderson. Have you ever heard of Leroy Anderson? He, he wrote this really interesting music in the 70s. And 60s and 50s, I think. One of them was the typewriter song, and it was a light kind of orchestral polka done with a, a real typewriter. And the typewriter was part of the orchestra, and the sounds of the typewriter were mic'd, and you could hear them. And then the, you'd do the carriage return, and there would be a, a like the sound of a bell. Is that the one popularized by Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis had a famous comedy routine. Uh, that was based on that typewriter music. Uh, and then he also had another song called Holiday for Trumpets. And that was, that was, that was a good piece. You know, but it's easy listening. It's, 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 you don't have to know a lot about classical music to enjoy it. And Arthur Fiedler was, you know, not a very good conductor, but also a great businessman and an organizing guy. And he got the Boston Pops happening in the 20s and 30s, I think. So... Um, I had heard the Rachmaninoff second concerto on those shows. So when I heard it in my car, I was about 35 years old. I started crying uncontrollably. So I knew that, yeah, jazz was for me, but classical, this sort of music, I had to figure out what that was for me too. And getting into Rainforest, I'm just going to fast forward ahead. I've been very, you know, I'm not like climate change. I'm on board with climate change big time. I'm passionate about it, but I'm passionate about it from, from a much more basic uh, point of view that the great neighborhoods, the great villages, the great places in the world that have more economic value, that are prettier, that are healthier to live in, what is the main thing they all have? Trees. And I read an article about I've been very much into sustainable farming, sustainable shopping, uh, eating organic, which means a minimum of pesticides. It, it matters a lot to me because I see that, you know, uh, nature is very adaptable. You know, you have these, you know, the, the all the pest, the, the pieces of plastic that are floating in the ocean. Now lots of small critters are living in them to survive. So, Nature can really adapt to whatever we throw at it, but we can't throw too much in it. And it it does seem that we do. But there are these women that take care of mangrove trees in India. And mangrove trees are very interesting because they nurture the soil underneath with their roots. Little critters hang in the roots of the mangroves. They kept alive. Obviously, the oxygenation and the clearing of the air that happens with the tree happens with these things. And they also protect the Indian soil from erosion. 
So the mangrove trees are all around, you know, the beach areas, and they keep the sand, they keep the ocean from taking the land away. So, and these women understand this, and, and their job, they just take on this job of taking care of these trees. And trees are so important. And, and it's, it's kind of, especially after the pandemic, I was thinking about trees all the time. Because, you know, trees are great. They're great for us. And the more trees we have in America and everywhere else, the more economic life and beauty and health we have. So that's where the rainforest piece came out of. I've spent some time in Brazil. I did a record there about 20 years ago called Bill in Brazil. One of the movements is uh, Batucada, which is about Brazil. One is called Magic Island, which is about one of those beautiful islands off the coast of India. And, uh, you know, that's the whole world. The tropical world is where our trees are. And we got to protect them. We can't let them die. The track you are hearing is from Bill Cunliffe's latest album, Rainforests, available now. And we'll resume our conversation with the artist in a moment. But first, I wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz Is Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Is editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz Is jazzes.com and these jazzes podcasts go to jazzes.com and click on join vinyl club but now back to our conversation with bill cunliffe You mentioned earlier that you get, you know, something along the lines of you get a lot of energy from people rather than being around machines, being around people. Yeah. Can the same thing be said about nature? Uh, have you always been inspired and influenced by nature? Absolutely. My, my parents were great. Um, we lived outside of Boston. And so we were always going out to ski or to hike in the mountains or we walked up Mount Mananoc, which is one of the biggest mountains in the East Coast. And of course, moving out to LA, you see when you're on the freeway, right, with a, you know, kind of polluted air and everything, but you look out the window and you see this mountain range that it's so great looking. It's, it's I love, I, you know, nature, of course, is beautiful. And yet I like the city too. So I like all of it. And I like the city. I like in LA, I like the way the neighborhoods are. The houses are close together. You can see people. You don't feel quite so isolated as you might. There's a very funny Kevin Hart, you know, the comedian. He's like, he says, well, you know, I finally made a lot of money and I got this big ass house in this neighborhood. You don't see anybody. And I got this big house with a long driveway. And, uh, you know, I get kind of scared, right? Walking down there. So I go to my kid. Hey, I'll give you five dollars go get the mail. Right? So he's getting his kid to, to do this stuff that he doesn't have the courage. He doesn't even want to go down the foot of his driveway. <laughs> so he sent his kid out there. Just uh, in terms of uh, 
representing your your concept, your driving concept for this album, trees, nature, musically. Uh, this album is a three movement suite. You know, musically, you talked about some of the elements that come into it, but yeah, how do you re- try to represent all of your your feelings, your emotions, and just you know this portrait of nature? And of course, with everything else that comes into it automatically, of course, nowadays, when we think about nature, we also think about, you know, all of these environmental issues, climate change, all of these causes. So what's the process there of putting everything together into a work of music? Well, that's, uh, well, that's a huge question and impossible to answer in the time we have, but I can at least tell you how I started with this. I was asked by uh, Terrell Stafford, the uh, director of jazz studies at Temple, an old uh, compatriot. I used to teach at Temple in Philadelphia. And um, he said, we need a piece and you need to do it in two months. So I, um, I wasn't able to spend a lot of time ruminating. I had to really get to work. So one of the things I cursed myself, you know, we all as artists are very self-critical. And I always think, well, I don't have good ideas. And, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I get these ideas and I'm like, these are really, really stupid ideas. What the heck am I doing? Don't we all? (laughs) Right. So I had to have a little exercise in contrary thinking. I had to tell myself, and actually my piano teacher at Eastman, Bill Dobbins, said, you know, there's no such thing as a bad idea. There's only bad execution of that idea. Not, not some, something along the lines of what he said. So I took every idea that came in and they were all small, you know, and and you know, childlike ideas, almost like cars for kids. I don't know if you've ever heard that commercial on the radio. No, I have, have not. Ever, not know, familiar with that one. Uh, you're better off. You're in Ireland. You have better radio there. Anyway, so I took these very, very simple ideas and then I dressed them up and developed them and tried to create a piece of music with it. And it turned into a three movement work. One movement uh, about the rainforest in the Amazon, another about just Brazil and the life of Brazil all and South America, and another about the Caribbean, uh, Magic Island. Um, all places where trees are really important. And of course, the Amazon, they're cutting the trees down like crazy for, for money, you know, logging and all of that. And actually, my parents from Maine, my dad was a logger. So, but up in Maine, it was, it was a little more, uh, sustainable, right? Because they were smaller companies. They weren't like clear cutting trillions of acres of stuff per day as they seem to do now, you know, it, on a smaller scale. Farming will not hurt the environment. It's when farming, Wendell Berry is a very fine writer. And he says, one of the biggest problems in farming now is monoculture. And what monoculture is, is that instead of in the old days, you know, in the 18th century in Ireland or whatever, you'd form, you'd have radishes here. You'd have blueberries here. You'd have, not bananas, but you know, strawberries here. And, the enemy, the bugs that were the enemy of the raspberries might be killed by the bugs that were enemy of the strawberries, might be killed by the bugs that were enemy of the blueberries. So as a result, it all kind of balanced. But now 
when you have a big, 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 big field, you know, that's only one crop, those pests don't die because they're not challenged. How do you fix this? You use weed killers and pesticides, and that messes up our water. It's not sustainable. We have to do things in a lot of ways the way we did them in the old days, and we have to figure out a way to make them profitable. The old ways can be better. The new ways are good too, but you got to do both of them. You know, uh, I, I'm thinking about this while you, while you're while you're saying all these things. Do you see uh, rainforests this this album uh, as beyond the music a way to get people talking about these things too? Well, I talk about it all the time. Music is a metaphor for life. Of course, it is. The challenge is, of course, that you know it's like poetry. Poetry isn't that easy to figure out for a lot of folks. Not even for me, because to really figure out what the metaphor is takes some work. The metaphors in rainforest are a little more obvious. Like one of the metaphors I have is just I actually try with percussion instruments to imitate the rainforest. So, you know, when we did the performance live at, at Cal State Fullerton, where I teach uh, last month, I actually all of a sudden I saw this big, big bass drum. And I thought to myself, thunder. So I pointed to the guy with the mallet and I went, get over there. And he started, boom, 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 boom. He started doing thunder. And that worked great with all the, you know, uh, bell trees and mark trees and wind chimes and whistles and all that stuff going on. It's, I love percussion anyway. I'm, you know, we, I think all of us musicians went through periods where we wanted to be drummers. And uh, so that was that was really fun to, for, to do it live. It was really great. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about instrumentation. Yeah, because listening to the album, yeah, I could hear that there are moments in the music where you literally, it's almost like a, a yeah, uh, almost like a cast of players in a movie performing a, uh, you know, a role. And in this sense, it, it happens to be trees, it happens to be the wind, it happens to be all these elements, right? So that came into play as well while yeah. you were conceiving the project. Right? Oh, that's that's a great observation, Matt. Uh, uh, in addition, the fact that you've got a symphony orchestra, which provides an amazing amount of colors. In addition, a jazz band. You know, the jazz orchestra is really a, a wonderful thing to write for. It's tough to control. And, you know, Bob Burkmeyer talked about this a lot. He said, I, I control those players. I don't let them do what they want. He was sort of, no, you only have eight bars to improvise. Then I got it. You know, you it's not yours. It's mine. I am the, the chess master with the players on the board. He was, you know, in, in a certain way, a joke. It was sort of a joke because Bob Brookmeyer was a great jazz player and a great advocate of freedom, which is what jazz really is. Uh, jazz is really a metaphor for freedom for people to to do what they want to do, but within a society that works, you know. And and because in a jazz band, yeah, you can do what you want, but it's got to fit in the role of the orchestra, or the jazz band, or all of that. It has to fit. You have to get along with others. You can't just be you. It's a real society metaphor. Everyone should have freedom, but not at the cost of someone else's freedom. And of course, this is a tough one because we have in America the Freedom uh, Caucus. And they say, well, yeah, but, and we want to make sure 
that the fetus is free to grow and to prosper and to be born. However, the woman also wants the freedom to control her body. You know, it, freedoms are, are difficult, you know, because my freedom will expand and intersect into your, you know, freedom of speech, fire in a crowded theater. No, you can't do that. So it's real complicated. I wanted to ask you because you brought up the, uh, the, the fact that, you know, there's a orchestra, jazz band. So you played this, uh, rainforest live, of course, but I was just thinking whether there was any other plans of playing it live again and uh, any live dates coming up for, uh, rainforests. Well, we just did one last week with the Fullerton uh, Jazz Orchestra and the Symphony Orchestra. And we will do, we only did one movement of it. You know, the thing with jazz orchestras is that there's never a lot of rehearsal time because it's like a hundred people. So, uh, and the piece is very difficult. The thing about the Temple University Orchestra is that they had weeks to work on it and they're absolutely top of the realm jazz orchestra. It's one of the best jazz departments uh, in the world um, at Temple. I'm very, very proud of my affiliation with Temple. And we will do another movement of it next year. I'm talking to uh, a couple other organizations and searching to get other performances of it. So stay tuned. I will certainly let jazzes know right away. And it's a great magazine. I, I really enjoy reading it. And I enjoy all the extra media stuff that you do. And I think a, a, a magazine to survive has to do everything that you're doing. It's got to be a whole thing where, you know, you subscribe to the magazine, but then you can get all this other kind of interesting other content. I think it's a great concept. I really hope it works. Well, thank you, Bill. Uh, and, and actually, I wanted to ask you as a final question, what is the best way of keeping up with news, future project, live dates? Uh, do you have a website that we our listeners could you know, keep an eye on? Yes. You know, the funny thing is anymore, it's getting so simple. If you just type my name to the search engine of any browser you have, everything will come up. But it is www.billcunliffe.com. And uh, I am in the middle of fundraising to take my uh, Fullerton Jazz Orchestra, which does one of these movements, uh, we're going to go to New Zealand and we are looking for supporters. So it's Fullerton Jazz Orchestra on GoFundMe. And uh, yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to do some of this music uh, overseas. So uh, it's really tough. We don't have enough, quite enough money to do this, but we're searching, but I don't want to turn this into a fundraiser. I just want people to check out the music and all the great things that you guys do. So no, it's all uh, good. Bill I'm glad glad you mentioned it. And Bill, it's been fascinating uh, chatting with you. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure. Well, you know, I I have a kinship with Ireland. I've been there a couple of times. <laughs> I am Scottish and English, so we are we are rivals. But I, the Irish are our cousins that we love, even though we don't always get along with them. <laughs> <laughs>
hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill Cunliffe and I remind you that his new album, Rainforests, is available now. And if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz's Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzes.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. Anna's music from Bill Cunliffe's Rainforests plays us out. I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz's podcasts, our print magazine and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzes.com. And if you like what you see, well, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt McCoochie signing off. See you soon. Mm-hmm.